0: Come plan your dream wedding all in one day at the 17th Annual Newport Bridal Show on March 3rd. Meet with more than 80 top wedding professionals at two of Newport's most romantic venues,
1: Rosecliff and Ocean Cliff Mansions. Visit newportbridalshow.net to buy your ticket today.
0: Hey there, and welcome to episode two of the Beneath the Sats podcast produced by Wicked Local North Boston. I'm your host, Rob McKittrick. Ducksbury Clipper sports editor and Boston.com sports producer Trevor Haas will be joining me shortly. But Before that interview begins, I first want to share my opening opinion on the Celtics this season. So first of all, the Red Sox won the World Series, their season's over, the Pats won the Super Bowl, their season's over, and as Bill says, it's, it's time to move on, and, and now it really is a Celtics season. And... You know, I wanted to start with a Marcus Morris quote, which everyone has been talking about in Boston. Um, the, right, the Celtics had a big bounce-back victory against the 76ers last night, 112-109. But the issues that have surrounded the Celtics all season, its they're not gone just because of that good win last night. So first, I just want to begin by reading this quote from Morris, because I think this really sums up the season for the Celtics right now. So on a Boston.com article... More, uh, they they described Morris's press conference after the big, 28 point uh, lead they had. They blew to the to the Lakers and lost, and this it really was seemed like the low point of the season. This is what Morris told reporters. For me, it's not really about the loss. It's about the attitude that we're playing with. Morris told reporters in the locker room, "Guys are hanging their heads. It's not fun. We're not competing at a high level. Even though we're winning, it's still not fun. I don't see the joy in the game." I watch all these other teams around the league, and guys are up on the bench. They're jumping on the court. They're enjoying their teammates' success. They're enjoying everything. They're playing together, and they're playing to win. And when I look at us, I just see a bunch of individuals. The goal has to win. Has to be to win. Bottom line, Morris said. we got to play to win. That's sacrificing playing hard. that sacrificing being a better teammate. That's sacrificing whatever it is. We have to put it to the side. No one's getting traded. Trade day line is over. We don't have no attitude. We don't have no tussis. We ain't having fun. It's going to be a long season. For us to be a championship team, man, this bleep has to change. We have to generally want to win. This has to be the first goal. Whatever that takes, I'm with it. If they want to take me out of the starting lineup, get some juice in there, I'm with it. I'm trying to win. Now, from the very beginning of this season, and again, I have not watched every game. I don't think any Boston fan, sports fan, has watched every game. Because again, the Red Sox had a great run. The Patriots had a great run. And as as I said, now we're on to the Celtics. But I have seen a lot of the games this season, and it does seem like to me that there has been, and I'm not the only one to say this this is a common thread around now in the Boston sports media, especially after this quote from Morris, is that something is not working well with this Celtics unit. It doesn't seem like the chemistry has been good all year long. It doesn't seem like they're meshing well. And Charles Barkley said it from the very beginning, and he got a little bit of heat for it, in that Charles Barkley said on TNT, that the Celtics had too much talent and not enough role players. I, th- I, th- I think he was spot on at the time, and I think that's the biggest thing, is that the Celtics right now, they have a lot of talented players, right? They got Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart, Aaron Baines, big guy, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, Kyrie Irving, Marcus Morris, and there are only so many basketballs to go around. And I think when you look at a team that is successful... Especially, just look at the 2018, 2008 Celtics, for example. So I think the 2008 Celtics, the 2018-19 Celtics, it's very interesting to look at the two teams and look at the differences. First of all, when you look at the Celtics roster in 2008, they had the big three. They had Paul Pierce, they had Kevin Garnett, they had Ray Allen. So those were the, really the main three guys that were getting shots. But even within those three guys, they had their roles. Paul Pierce was the go-to guy. He was the go-to guy at the end of the games. He was the captain. He was the guy who was getting most of the shots. Kevin Garnett was the leader. He was the defensive enforcer. He was really the the leader on the court. He would get his shots in the post, but like Al Horford, he was more of a team guy, team-oriented guy. And he really wouldn't take that many shots per game. In fact, his average over the Celtics tenure was really only around 14 to 15 points per game. Ray Allen, when he came to the Celtics, had to change his role as well. Ray Allen used to be more of a one-on-one player, and he shot from a three. When he came to the Celtics, he became more of a spot-up coming off curls, and he really didn't have the ball in his hands as much as he did when he was playing with the Supersonics or Milwaukee. And, and then you look at the starting five. So you have those big three with the Celtics. Then you have Ray, Ray John Rana, who did not shoot at all. He was a pass-first point guard. Kendrick Perkins didn't shoot a lot. He was also a defensive guy as a center. You had James Posey coming off the bench as a six-man, providing energy. You had Tony Allen as a six-man providing defense. You had Big Baby coming in for some 15-footers and some additional offense. You had Leon Poe for energy. So you had all these guys that you knew they had a definitive role on the team, and yet the big three were the guys who were taking most of the shots, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce. Now, when you look at the 2018 Celtics, I don't think there is a defined role for many of these players on the team. I think that's the big problem, and I think that's the big problem all year. I think that's what Charles Barkley was talking about, is that Charles Barkley was saying they didn't have enough gritty guys like an Aaron Baines to play a role. And I think that's really been the problem all year, is that when you look at the Celtics roster, I'm just going to name guys. They got Marcus Morris, they got Tatum, Al Horford, Tara Rezier, Marcus Smart, Kyrie Irving, Daniel Tice, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown. Now, what what is the role for these guys in this team? Kyrie Irving's the go-to guy. Al Horford is gonna be Al Horford. He's gonna get rebounds, play some defense, be a, be a good teammate, move the ball. Jason Tatum, I guess he's gonna look for his offense at this point, right? He seems like he's he's starting to emerge as a scorer, and he's taking a lot of shots. Marcus Morris again, he takes a lot of shots. Rozier takes a lot of shots. Jalen Brown takes a lot of shots. Marcus Smart's going to do what Marcus Smart does. Gordon Hayward is needed to work back into the offense all year. He needs to get his looks. And when I look at this team and I compare it to other championship teams, it just doesn't seem like there's a defined role for a lot of the players on this team. and They don't mesh together. They have a lot of really, really good players with a lot of talent, but they're not good enough that they can play on their talent alone. And to me, it doesn't seem like the chemistry is there. And I think with Marcus Morris's quote, it is absolutely the case that he believes that as well. And I think mean, one one term that they talk about in economics is a diminishing marginal return in that even if you get a, a lot of quantity, if you have more workforce, there comes there becomes a certain point where the efficiency and the pr- productivity decreases. And I think with this Celtics team, the reason why you see a lot you see they have a lot of wins when guys like Kyrie Irving going out is that it's easier for them to play together when they have less talent. Because they're let, they're, when there's too many good players on the floor and you're not good enough, which is kind of the Celtics standard, because let's be honest, talent, talent always supersedes everything. If the Celtics were good enough, it wouldn't matter how bad their chemistry is, they would figure it out. The problem is that they're really good, but they're not good enough, they're not elite enough, that if they have eight talented guys, if, they're not, if they don't have role players, they don't have the roles, and the chemistry isn't mixing well, they're not going to be good enough. So you've seen times when Kyrie Irving has been out, and it doesn't surprise me that they've pl- played well in those times, and I'm not saying they're going to be better with Kyrie Irving because that's ridiculous. But I think the K- but it, but I do think it's interesting that when guys are hurt and there are less bodies to go around and take shots, they are more successful. And you saw it last night. Al Horford was a lot more aggressive, and I've said that for years watching this team. Just like KG, Al Horford needs to take a lot more shots, and he was fantastic last night, and you love to see it. And when I go back to this 2008 Celtics team, Versus the 2018 Celtics, you know, what, what is the difference? You know, why, why did that Celtics team, why were they so successful? Why did they mesh so well? And I think this is coaching, 100% coaching. And yes, it does go on the players, absolutely. And you can look at the players. It was a veteran group in 2008, and that was a big thing. And these players on the Celtics are not veterans. They're young guys, even Kyrie Irving. He's, he's in his mid-20s still. Al Horford and Marcus Morris are really the only veterans on the team. But when I look at coaching and I compare the two between Brad Stevens and Doc Rivers, and don't get me wrong, I am a huge Brad Stevens guy. I was a huge Brad Stevens guy when he was at Butler. I was thrilled when the when the when the Celtics decided to to hire him as head coach. I think he's done an amazing job with with the Celtics. I think he's done an amazing job in the last few years of getting the most out of his talent. I mean, look at last season without Hayward, with Kyrie Irving hurt, the Celtics were one win away from beating LeBron to go to the NBA Finals. And that's why there was so there was so much expectation on this group because they were so good last year. Brad got so much out of the guys; they were playing so well together that when Hayward and Irving were back healthy. The 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 expectations are through the roof. And I think if you're gonna give Brad Stevens the credit, and I've said this from the beginning of the year, and I know I've heard this from people now talking about Brad, and unfortunately I didn't have my podcast, you know, a few few months ago, but I've said this from the very beginning. If Brad Stevens is gonna get all the credit for when this Celtics team overachieves with with not a ton of talent, then when they underachieve like they are this season, even though they're still fourth in the Eastern Conference and having a good year but they still are underachieving because, as I said, the expectations are through the roof, then he has to take a lot of the criticism. And I think when you compare Brad Stevens to Doc Rivers, it's it's so different. And I think Brad at Butler, he was great with getting the most out of his guys. He didn't have a ton of talent, but he, he, as I said, you know he gets the most out of his players. He did the same thing with the Celtics. He was great with the young guys. However, this is a different group right now with the Celtics because they have a ton of talent. There's a lot of personalities. They all want the ball. And it just doesn't seem like they have meshed well all year, as I said. It just seems like this team at times, it looks like guys take turns. When I take turns, it means Gordon Hayward might come off the bench. He might take a couple of shots, make a couple. And it's Terry Rozier's turn because they feel like they're all capable, capable scorers. Jason Tatum hasn't had a shot in a while, so when he gets the ball, he might go ISO one-on-one. It might go in, it might not and the the assists do come with this team but i think you do find that and you saw with Ray Allen too sometimes is that when guys when guys feel like they are capable of scorers and they don't get the ball a lot then they need to get theirs. and i think you're seeing that a lot of times with the Celtics team that with this with Celtics team and i think that comes from coaching when you look at the two thousand Celtics, the big thing was Ubuntu, right? They were, they were all into the team. Uh, they trapped They they went they went abroad um, before the season started as a team. Like they went to Greece. I'm not sure, but I feel like they went to Greece. It was all about the team. And I think KG and and Doc will say this that KG was so key for keeping everyone together. He was team first because when you when you think back to that team, there were a ton of personalities on the team. I mean, just just think about the stuff that has happened now the things that have come out between Rondo and Ray in those two big personalities. And, and, and Doc did an unbelievable job of, of, of making them a team first and really, really having the team mesh well and play well together and be team-oriented and make sure everyone has their roles. And when I look at this 2018 Celtics team... It just does not seem, as I said before, like everyone has a role and they know what they're doing. In contrast, it really just seems like they have all these talented guys that feel like they should get shots up, and when they haven't had a shot for a while, they take it, and that just snowballs. So to end this opening opening take here, um, before, before I talk to Trevor Haas about the game specifically last night, um, which again was a great bounce back win. I don't want to be negative because the Celtics have had a good season, and yes, and last night's win against the Sixers was a was a big win for them. But I also think that throughout this season they've been on stretches like when they won nine out of ten, but then they lost two in a row to to, to the Lakers and the Clippers. And yes, last night's win was great, but I think this team, if they want to be a championship team, they have to figure something out, chemistry wise, with this group. And you know, and I'll see what Trevor's Haas. Trevor Haas' take is in a minute, but to close here, I think when you look at all great championship teams, the chemistry is the key, and I think a lot of times they have, the, the reason why there's a big three in basketball is number one, obviously, you unless you're the Warriors, which somehow finds all, the, all these ways to pay for guys with the cap, but a lot of times you can't pay for more than three max guys. But the other reason why a big three seems to work well in basketball is that if you have three good players who take a lot of shots, the idea is that you have a lot of different role players who are not going to shoot and are going to do a job, like play defense and grab rebounds and dive on the floor for loose balls. And I think the problem with the Celtics team, as I end it in, and as I said before, is that I just think they have too many guys right now that are good players but are not good enough that the talent's going to supersede their chemistry issues, and I, I think this is kind of this is going to be an ongoing problem and whether Danny needs to make a change um in the offseason, uh th- that remains to be seen. But we we shall see how the rest of the season goes and uh let me bring in Trevor Haas. Now joining me is sports editor of the Ducksbury Clipper and sports producer of Boston.com, Trevor Haas. Trevor, thanks for joining me. No problem. Thanks for having me, Robbie. Appreciate it. So we will get into the Celtics game last night. Their big winning at 76ers in, in the Celtics season overall. But this is the first time I've, I've talked to you after the Pats' big Super Bowl win. Um, you know, we can talk about this for a few minutes briefly. What were your thoughts on the on the bat the Pats Pats winning again?
1: I think it was pretty remarkable. I mean, just the the sustained success they've had and how they've done it for so many years. I mean, even in a year like this, like people have been saying the whole time, where they really weren't the best team on paper. Their offense had its flaws. Their defense was pretty good, but had some, some duds along the way, but somehow they just find a way every year. And it seems like it's at this point, you kind of have to give credit to Belichick because Brady did not have his best game. Everyone knows that he threw a pick right away and then kind of was up and down the rest of the way. Obviously the offensive line and defensive line were great and they, they got to golf pretty well, but I think it really just speaks to the greatness of Belichick because even in in a season like this, where it wasn't necessarily theirs for the taking, they just kind of, Went and took it anyway because I mean the Rams are a great team; they're going to have a great future, but it just kind of shows you that right now it's still the Patriots dynasty for now.
0: Yeah, we were talking about it on the on the first podcast, just about the game and the job Belichick did with the team, and we were just saying it's just unbelievable that I think this year of all years that they won. I mean, it just—it really just shows the, the the greatness of the whole dynasty throughout. You know, starting 2001 with this team, but the fact that they won this year of all years was remarkable because you know the Boston sports media and I think fans rightfully were concerned and kind of counting them out a lot of the season. And the fact that they still won—it it was unbelievable.
1: I think that's a refreshing reminder to the the common fan who just kind of freaks out after a team starts X and X. Just you know, the season's a long season, and they're going to figure it out. There may be a time in 10 years from now when you can rais- reasonably freak out, but for now, just kind of enjoy it because they're probably going to get better.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, let's, let's transition to the Celtics, and we had to get that out of the way. But so Celtics' big win, big bounce-back win against 76ers last night, 112-109. No Kyrie Irving, but really good key bounce-back performance from the Celtics, you know, good performances by... Al Horford, Jason Tatum, Marcus Morris, Gordon Hayward, um, what, what what do you make of the game? How do you like their response after the, the big collapse against against the Lakers?
1: Yeah, those two games were very interesting. I mean, the, the Celtics outplayed the Lakers and the Clippers the majority of the way, and they kind of looked like the better team, which they are. But both of those teams hung around, and I think it's, it goes to show you that you can't really take any opponent lightly in the NBA. Even if you have a 15, 20-point lead, anything can happen, um, especially the way there's so much scoring in the league right now. So, I think it was a testament to those teams that they kind of stayed stayed pat and came back. But the Celtics, it was also a good reminder just to kind of trust what's gotten them here and keep playing hard no matter what the score is. Uh, but then, like you said, definitely a big bounce back win last night. Um, I thought the main difference was just the fact that the Celtics played together. Um, it's you know not in like a cheesy way, but honestly, like they they were unified. They moved the ball. They played hard on defense. It's easy to talk about wanting to get better and to play tough. You know that word toughness is thrown around, but. I think they showed it in the way they played with their unison and just kind of the way they were flying to loose balls and moving, the, moving the ball, making the extra pass, the things that you know helped them out when they were playing their best basketball.
0: Yeah, um, I thought. Yeah, sorry. I, I thought the toughness was great. Um, just overall, I thought Al Horford brought it from the beginning. With you don't see a lot of of Al Horford technical fouls, but I think from the very beginning of the game, it looked like they were locked in, and Al Horford showing a lot of emotion. It was good to see.
1: Yeah, honestly, I think that was the most upset I've ever seen him. Like, not even exaggerating, I've watched him like dozens, maybe hundreds of games, but he he was really upset, which was honestly kind of inspiring. Like, that's the way he should be because that was not the right call, and he kind of you know took it out on them. And like he's like you said, he just kind of stepped up all game, and I think that was really a difference. Right now, uh, Al Horford definitely has a lot of real estate in Joel Embiid's head. Who knows if that will continue? Like five years from now, it could not be like that. It could be the opposite, or Al could be retired. We don't even know, but. For now, I think he kind of you know plays a mind game with him, and that's not really Al's style typically. But I think Embiid kind of loves the spotlight, but then doesn't really know how to embrace it at times. Like he's still getting his feet wet when it comes to kind of you know taking that and turning it into channeling it into positive energy. So for now, it's kind of Al's matchup to win, and he's wins it ninety percent of the time.
0: Yeah, Horford was awesome, and you're absolutely right. Embiid's kind of a mental mess on the court. A lot of a lot of armors filling, in, a lot of complaining. Um, what, what do you make of? I talked about in the beginning of the podcast before you came on about Marcus Morris's recent comments, um, just about how they're not playing together, the, the potential chemistry issues. What do you make of those comments? Um, and how did you? How did? What do you? What do you think of the how the how the Celtics responded after after those comments?
1: I don't know. I, I have kind of mixed feelings about it. I think on the one hand, it kind of makes sense to call them out because when when you know when a player or a coach calls his player his players out it's kind of going to spiral out of control. Like now people, it's on Twitter, you know, everyone's tweeting it out and people see it. It's not like the NBA players don't see that. They know what's happening. They they see that just like we do. So I think they kind of took that to heart and kind of realized, all right, we're a little bit more talented than we have been playing. Maybe that call, wake up call wasn't entirely necessary because it was just two losses. But I think the way those losses unfolded, it, you know, this was a little more necessary than some other ones just to kind of regroup and realize like, all right, we actually, Need to win some games here because in the Eastern Conference, the way it is, it's much better now. There are four really, really good teams and one team that is solid without even without Victor Oladipo and the Pacers. And then, you know, even the Nets, the Hornets, not bad teams. So I think it's important to, you know, get that seating and kind of work their way up the ladder in the pecking order just to realize that, like, every game matters. So, you know, there is a priority on winning along the way, not just the postseason.
0: So I talked about it in, in, before you came on, but you know the Celtics had massive expectations going into the season, especially how they were in Game Seven of the Eastern Conference Finals last year. They had no Gordon Hayward, Kyrie Irving was hurt, uh, and they really they haven't quite met those expectations so far this year. And they're still having a good season, um, you know, for, fourth in the East, and they've been pl- playing better basketball of late. Um, taking aside those those two bad losses to the Lakers and the Clippers, what have you made? What have you been able to make of the Celtics' season this year in how they were able to, I guess, meet or not meet the expectations they had going into the season?
1: Well, I think it's an interesting situation because this is the first time the expectations have been this high um, since Brad Stevens got here and arguably since 2008 when you know the Big Three formed back in the day. So I think it's kind of a new role, and a lot of these players, albeit you know, despite, despite their talent, they really have a great talent level. They are young. Jalen Brown is young. Jason Tatum is young. Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart even. Uh, he's been around but they're you know all pretty young the core except for Kyrie and Al who and Gordon who are very experienced and Morris I guess you know they do have some experience but still a lot of young players are in the rotation so I think it's kind of a a challenge to adjust to that because it's uncharted territory I think they've kind of you know they have taken their lumps they've been up and down this year but I think we really can't define their success until we get to the postseason because right now it's kind of a a build-up and if they do play their best ball and you know make the finals, then all of a sudden we're talking about one of the best teams in the last 15 years Celtics was. Um, And if they don't, then I think it's fair to criticize them because they've underachieved. So I think right now they're showing signs that they can do it. All they have to do is win four out of seven each series. It's not like they have to sweep teams. They're not going to. Um, But I think right now we kind of have to hit the pause button and enjoy the regular season and then kind of reassess once we reach the end. I agree. No,
0: I do. I mean, the talent is there. I mean, and it's. I think it's frustrating sometimes because you see you see them play great basketball games where they're playing together, and it seems like you, know, you you see the how good this team can be, and then you see some of these frustrating losses and blowing big leads. But you know, I just I just think the key is consistency with them, and hopefully, they find in the playoffs. You know, I the, my thought about this team is almost like I thought about the Patriots in that you know I wouldn't be surprised if they lose in the first round. Um I also wouldn't be surprised if they it to the finals. I think the talent is there. You know, the question is really they can they can have it together consistently in the playoffs.
1: Right. Well I think when you look in the matchups, they I think if they if they lose in the first round, that would be a surprise in my opinion. Um uh, I think if they if they get the four seed, maybe, let's say, and then they play the Bucks, who are the one in the second round, all of a sudden that's far from a cinch. I mean, the Bucs are extremely talented. Giannis is arguably the best player in the East, along with Kawhi and Kyrie. Um, so that's a really tough matchup. But then, if they get the the Raptors, all of a sudden you have to go to Toronto, a team that's improved significantly, and then maybe even if you don't do you face either those teams, you're facing the Sixers or maybe the Nets. uh the Sixers are great um they the Celtics still kind of own them as we talked about, but all three of those teams are I think on paper just about as good as the Celtics doesn't mean the Celtics are worse, but it's gonna be pretty difficult to make the finals even if they're playing well.
0: yeah, really uh, I think it'll be key to see what the seed is for the Celtics. Um, as they get going here, what what have you made of the whole? And I didn't even get to talk about this. Um, in in the beginning, um, what, what have you made of the whole Kyrie Irving situation? Because you know, from from my perspective, and from a lot of Celtics fans, has been a lot of frustration with Kyrie's words. Not Kyrie as the player, because on on the court he's just unbelievable. But hearing him on a day to day basis, he, hearing him initially commit to staying in Boston, and then when asked about it, saying he might decide uh, he's going to let you know. Um, over the summer, what 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 is your opinion been on, on Kyrie Irving over the past few? weeks?
1: Well, the earth might be flat, but his personality is definitely not. So I guess that keeps (laughs) things lively. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I think, to be honest, I think he just likes to kind of have fun and like push the right or the wrong buttons just because he can almost. It's kind of like a, I don't want to say a power trip, but just something he likes to take advantage of because he loves the spotlight. And this is really what he wanted from the start. He wanted his team um, in, when LeBron was, you know, with him in Cleveland, he was kind of in the backdrop, he was the second guy, or maybe even the third at certain points, along with Kevin Love. Um, so now it's kind of his team to run with, and I think he just kind of likes challenging, like the popular opinion. So you know, if if one thing is a, a certain way, he likes you know, shedding light on it a different way and kind of you know asking questions to uh, challenge the popular opinion. So I don't know. I think it's it's you could look at it as like he's just having fun as long as he's producing and uh hypothetically stay here in the future i guess we'll we'll see what happens there but if he does that then you know you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt cuz he is who he is or you could look at the opposite perspective like you know this guy is just kind of uh doing what he wants and he's not really about the team so i think it's kind of a personal opinion in my opinion i i just kind of put it aside because the bucket's come and the defense is improving too and he's helping them win games even though some people talk about how they're better without him, that's obviously not true. So he, you know, he's doing what he can and you just kind of have to take it with a grain of salt and just kind of realize that that's who he is as a person.
0: Yeah. Anyone who says they're better with, with uh, him, him not in the lineup in Terry is, is ridiculous, but, yeah, I uh, that. <laughs> but in, uh, do you think that he will stay with the Celtics next season or is he going to be a Nick?
1: Uh, honestly, I think it's impossible to say my gut is that he'll be back. Um, but I think, you know, like we said, if they do bow out early, if they lose in the first or second round, then maybe it gets more interesting. But I think if they make the conference finals, he'll probably stay. If they make the finals, he'll definitely stay. Um, you know, he likes the spotlight, he likes to ball up and do his Uncle Drew thing, but he also likes to win like anyone else. So I think if the young guys like Tatum and Brown prove that they can thrive in the spotlight, like they did last year without him in fairness, um, then I think he'll stay. But the Knicks is attempting after I mean they cleared that cap space, so All of a sudden, if they get the number one pick and get Zion, then maybe Kevin Durant's like, oh, huh. Or Anthony Davis is like, oh, huh. Like, you know, maybe they do go there. And then if they talk, all those guys text all the time. Maybe they'll be like, all right, I'm going. You're going. Okay, let's both do it. And then they actually have a decent supporting cast. And then they get those two guys and Zion, then they're a playoff team. So it's kind of a fun time for the NBA, but not for the nervous Celtics fan who doesn't really know if he's going to stay. But I guess we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, all the NBA nonsense of the constant trade talks in the drama and the talking about and forth can be it become it can become a little much when it when he's on your side uh, of uh, when he's when he's your guy um but moving forward here is is there anything you're going to want to see from the Celtics in the second half of the season I think the All, is the all-star uh weekend this is it this weekend it is yep so with yeah with the all-star weekend this this weekend uh second half coming up even though it's you know more than second half of the season uh is there one thing you're going to want to look see from this team before the playoffs it would either make you feel better about them, one when, when way you're trying to see them improve, or uh, anything you'll be looking for in the second half? Um, I think
1: it all goes back to that consistency. I mean, it's kind of a buzzword, but it's also true they're really up and down. I think when they play their best basketball, they're moving the ball, they're getting back on defense, they're communicating on switches, doing all those little things that separate good team, great teams from good teams. So I think it's just about winning those games and prioritizing the fact that, like we said, it's definitely important to win as many games as you can in the regular season, this year especially. Um, I think one specific thing uh, from a basketball standpoint is just getting out in transition. I feel like every time they, they run, they move the ball, and they kind of you know, beat teams with their speed and agility. That really gives them a leg up um, because this team, you know, Horford's kind of a, a rock and not that fast, but, and Marcus Morris doesn't really thrive in transition. He's more of a half-court player. But when you look at pretty much everyone else, Kyrie, Gordon, Jason, Jalen, Terry, they're all Marcus, they're all great in transition. Um, even Daniel Tice can run the floor really well. Uh, Brad Wanamaker all their other guys except for those few who also can contribute in transition Um, they run the ball really well so I think when they when they move the ball and they push it and get out in transition I think that really helps them and kind of gets them up into those that 120-125 area which is it's tough to beat a team when they're scoring that many points so I think that'll help
0: yeah, I agree. I think transition is huge, especially with you know, as, as you said, they're really a young athletic group, and to get those out, guys out running, I, I think is always key. And you know, Tommy Hinesman always loved that team, and he always wants to get them out running. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot here with this question, and you know, you, you don't get, you don't answer, you don't have any of these questions beforehand, so this is all on top mm-hmm. of your head. Um, you know. Is there one player that you're going to be focusing on this in the second half? And I guess I'll answer that first. And this is kind of an easy one, but you know, Gordon Hayward I think has been one guy that people have watched throughout the season, and you know, people have been frustrated, and I've been frustrated. I think it's you know, it's tough because you got to give him time. The quickness, the speed, the explosiveness really has not been there. He had a great, he's had great shooting performances like he did last night. Um, Is is there a guy, whether it's Gordon Hayward or someone else, that you'll be looking for in the second half of the season? I think, like you said, Hayward is
1: definitely the, the target there. Um, I can talk about another person, too, but I think Hayward is the answer to the question. Um, Chris Grenham, um, who writes for Celtics blog and CLNS Media, he tweeted last night that Hayward is trending in the right direction. December, he's averaged, he averaged 10.4 points per game and shot 37% from the field. January, 116 46.5%. February fourteen points per game fifty six point four percent from the field, which you know obviously that's a little bit skewed because it depends on which you know how many minutes he's playing and which teams they're playing and all that jazz. But overall, I think that's not really a coincidence. I think he's definitely playing better, getting more comfortable, and I think last night against the Sixers was the prime example of that. Um, taking shots in rhythm, his shot honestly they barely even touched the net. He looked really smooth and comfortable. Twenty six points and definitely one of his best games of the year. Um, best games as a Celtic. Um, I think outside of him. I would probably say Terry Rozier. Um, last year, he was really solid in the playoffs and kind of stepped up without Kyrie. But I think for some reason, Terry Rozier plays a lot better when he's the guy who's you know bringing the ball up and kind of it's his team to run the show. Uh, but I think it's really really important for him to step up even when he's a reserve. Um, you know, hopefully Kyrie is health, healthy this year and the Celtics are at full strength. Uh, we don't know if that's going to happen, but if it does, then you know I think it's really important that Terry kind of plays within himself It doesn't try to do too much but also looks for his shot and hunts some offense um, because when he's when he's coming off the bench like that and running the show and they also have Marcus Smart, uh, Marcus Morris, you know Gordon Hayward playing with the, with the bench usually even though some of them are starters um, I think that really separates the Celtics from some other teams who like the Sixers who have probably a better starting five on paper straight up but their bench is not quite as good. Um, Mike Scott's a decent player. Um, Boban's hilarious and kind of fun to watch. Um, but, you know, they're not as talented. So I think Terry Rozier, if he comes off that bench, I think it's really important for him to kind of keep the pace that Kyrie sets and look for his offense.
0: All right. Last question for you before we talk about what what's going on with you. Um, you know, do you have a prediction for how, how how far this team will go? And I I know we are just saying it in, you know, for me, it's a toss-up. You know, the talent is there, and, and I would not be surprised if they make it to the finals. Um, you know, as we said, the key is consistency. Uh, you know, gut reaction, how how far are they going? Uh, I think
1: anything could happen, but if I had to go to Vegas and bet right now, which I'm not going to do because that would be a bad investment, but I would say they'll beat... A team in the first round in five or six games. Well, I guess let's start with seed. I would say they'll probably get the four seed. It could be the three or the five. I don't think it's going to be the one or the two or the six. Um, So if they get the four seed, let's say they beat the Pacers maybe in the first round in five or six games. Um, And then let's say they play the Bucks in the next round. I mean, that's, like we said, that's far from an easy series. I can see them winning it. I can see them losing it. I guess I'll say they win it in six or seven Um, and then they face the Raptors and I'll say they lose to the Raptors in six or seven. I think the Raptors are the best team on paper right now. I think getting Gasol was huge. Um, he's a really versatile player and he can shoot the three and bring it inside. And I think Kawhi is just, you know, dominant. He's been there before. My favorite stat in NBA history is that Kawhi has the best winning percentage in NBA history. Like out of anyone who's ever played, like forget Bill Russell, MJ, Kawhi has the single best winning percentage in NBA history. It's far from a fluke. Obviously Tim Duncan had something to do with that, but, uh, Kawhi, Marc Gasol, Kyle Lowry, great bench. Like all of a sudden, like you're like, wow, these guys have a lot of players. So, I think I'm going to go with the Raptors. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Celtics beat them and made the finals or lost earlier. So we'll have to wait and find out.
0: Well, I think one, you know, people had these high expectations for the Celtics before the season, but that was also before Kawhi went to the Raptors. Jimmy Butler went to the 76ers. Uh, you talked about uh, you had them getting Gasol and you know the 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 east is reloaded and you know you think lebron leaves and it's all smooth sailing but that has not been the
1: case right i think the east is more top heavy than the west and maybe even more talented overall the west it's kind of you know they've shifted roles a little bit the west is really deep like teams like the blazers the thunder even the kings are surprising the lakers you never really know what's going to happen the clippers there are a lot of good teams in the west Um, i think the east kind of drops off after the top four or five but those top four or five are among the maybe seven or eight best teams in the NBA, along with the Warriors and some of those other ones I mentioned. So the East is definitely on the rise, and that's not ideal timing for the Celtics, who in theory should be on the rise themselves, but it's not going to be a cakewalk.
0: All right, great stuff, Trevor. Is there any uh, anything going on? Uh, where can people read your stuff? And You know, you're doing stuff for Boston.com, um, the Ducksbury Clipper. Uh, yeah, where, where can people li- uh, read your stuff? Yeah, so I work for the Ducksbury
1: Clipper full-time covering high school sports. Um, If you're interested in high school sports, I also write for the Boston Globe, um, contribute for them, do everything from gymnastics to ice ice hockey to basketball. Um, So you can check that out at DucksburyClipper.com or on the Boston Globe high school page. Um, I also write for Boston.com and work as a sports producer. Um, So I write about the Boston teams, the Celtics, the Red Sox, Patriots, Bruins. Um, You can check that out at Boston.com. Um, and yeah, if you have any feature stories that you'd like me to, to write, um, for any other site, just let me know. I'm happy to look into it. Um, always
0: happy to write. So, yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks so much for joining me, Trevor. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Robbie. This was fun. All right. Well, you can follow Trevor on Twitter at Trevor Haas. Make sure to check out his work. As he said, uh, for Boston Globe, Boston.com, Duckspray Clipper. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to check out the first episode on the Wicked Local North of Boston uh, website. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob McKittrick for the latest podcast information. Thanks so much for listening.